does it mean to heal? What does it look like to practice unconditional loving kindness? And how does this affect humanity as a whole? In effort to answer these questions, I've created a space where I share inspiring interviews that have changed my perspective and have deepened my empathy for the experiences of others with the hopes of initiating collective healing. I'm your host, Gianna, and it is with love and in light that I invite you to heal the collective. What's up, you guys? I am so excited to finally start this podcast. I've been talking about it forever. I feel like for so long, I just struggled with branding myself because I was always experienced what I felt like was just such rapid growth in all these different directions. And I could never really identify with any one thing or idea. So essentially, like that became the brand, just growth. And asking myself what does that entail and what does that look like i think that healing requires so much self-acceptance and just embracing all the different parts of us and not trying to run from them i think the only way to heal those pieces of us is with self-acceptance and then with self-acceptance comes the acceptance of others i think with healing you develop such a deep sense of empathy and compassion for other people and once i started learning about healing i couldn't help but to become super passionate and in turn want to share everything i had learned with everyone around me i felt like i could help so many people so i had to think of a way to balance out my passion with acceptance of others and where they are in their journey i think it's human nature to experience such a beautiful discovery and want to share it with the world. I see this so much with religion from my personal experience where people kind of, you know, find Jesus, if you will. And then there's this passion and excitement to want to share that naturally with everyone around you because you want them to have that same experience. But it's a slippery slope, you know, to becoming a zealot or being too forceful with with people around you, which can definitely be deterring. So I started this podcast because I really wanted everyone to see what healing really looks like. Healing is such a beautiful thing, but it can also be so messy and so ugly at times. And I feel like we're so good at showing the world what we're good at and all of our accomplishments, you know, our highlight reel. And although we're trying to be encouraging, it can sometimes be so off-putting to someone that hasn't quite healed yet. So I see this with a lot of coaches that I follow or a lot of like inspirational speakers. Like someone that isn't healed can look at them and the place where they're at, where they're healed in their journey, and it seems like you know their life is just so amazing now, it can feel so unattainable to someone that is just getting into healing or that is just getting into spirituality so i see this too i I don't know people post like doing 100 push-ups a day challenges and stuff that's like a a big one and when i see that i'm like i cannot do 100 push-ups like that feels so overwhelming to me i can do maybe three fucking push-ups and after my three push-ups i just go immediately to the freezer and eat ice cream straight out of the container so that that does that does not work for me and i wish 
we saw more of what the process of healing is or the process of like achieving goals and getting to 100 push-ups for example you know like you you don't start there you have to start with that first step i think there's such an attachment sometimes to these like numbers or these very specific goals and timelines and deadlines and it can create such unrealistic standards for people especially those that are just starting out with whatever the task may be so i wanted to give some insight into what it looks like when you break things down and when you're starting from the very beginning when you're starting from nothing so the idea is to have different stories of different people on the podcast and just kind of have them tell their stories and what their healing process and what their journey looked like even though they're in a place now where you would look at them and think their life is great and they've they've healed they're super spiritual whatever I want to talk about like how they got there you know talk about their ups and downs their highs and lows and hopefully this will just show people that everyone's healing process looks extremely different those baby steps are, are so different for everyone those timelines are so different for everyone we're always trying to fit into this mold that was created by whoever parents society etc we've been conditioned to not be ourselves from a very young age by our parents by you know again society peers and we learn this behavior and then we sort of just perpetuate it by subconsciously creating the same standards for everyone around us and then pass that on to future generations and i think when we do that it just really we are really allowing our happiness to lie in the hands of others and what we think their expectations are. We become afraid to express our authentic selves, our needs, wants, desires, until you reach a point where you're just so tired that you finally say enough is enough, you take the leap, and you take the risk of losing that love and validation from everyone around you and that what you think is happiness because you realize that everyone around us shouldn't have that kind of control. More often than not, I think in my experience, I've been pleasantly surprised when I finally do express myself and I finally do show my authentic self because in reality, our fears are just stories that we've created in our minds to keep us safe. Safe from what we think might happen, a negative reaction. And obviously that comes from conditioning and traumas that have happened in the past. A a big one is attachment styles and just things that we anticipate in order for our body to kind of prepare for what we think is going to happen. But at the end of the day, there is no love like the love you can give yourself. So let this be an invitation to be your authentic self and to fully accept yourself and embrace all of the parts that you may be ashamed of or feel guilty about so that the healing process can begin. Thank you so much for tuning in to Heal the Collective. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can help me out by grabbing your nearest device and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show grow. If you take a screenshot of your review and email it to me at tohealthecollective at gmail.com, I'll send you two of my favorite journal prompts. Feel free to also share this podcast with a friend that you think may find this useful. 
I will be launching episodes once a week, so make sure you follow me on Instagram at To Heal the Collective so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and check out some of our other content. I would love to hear your feedback and thoughts on the show as well as any topics you would like for me to cover on solo episodes. If you go to calendly.com slash to heal the collective, you can book a time with me and we can hop on a call. I would love to connect and get to know you directly and I look forward to hearing from you. Sending lots of love and until next time. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you, Gianna? Good, good. I'm good. I'm so excited. Okay, so super excited to finally have Paulina on the podcast. Paulina is the founder of Science and Soul, a company nearly 10 years in the making. Paulina started the company while trying to find healing and peace with her body. Suffering from numerous health conditions ranging from a poor relationship with food to an imbalanced gut and hormones chronic inflammation, and aggravated skin. After trying everything possible, oh, after trying every possible (laughs) elimination diet, cleanse, and workout regime under the sun, Paulina has spent the last few years finding natural solutions to her wellness approach, attending various meditation retreats, energy healing workshops, and diving into the study of ancient wellness foundations such as Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. When she began to integrate mind and body practices and change the way she evaluated nutrition, the healing really began. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I was about 15 when I was introduced to holistic wellness and healing. It actually all started with my mom. She was a really huge, incredible influence in my life. She always had articles scattered around the house of cleanses and Uh, Ayurvedic practices, etc. So that's kind of where I started to dabble in it. But more importantly, she started practicing body and brain yoga. And to touch on that really quickly, body and brain yoga is a combination of guided meditation, Tai Chi, Qigong and breath work. That is what I practice to this day. So when she joined, she took me under her wing, whether I liked it or not, I was going to classes with her at 15. I was like, not having it. I didn't see the benefits because I wanted to be hanging out with my friends. But Going with her really changed my life. And that kind of segues into my first spiritual experience, which was a chakra healing workshop. And I remember it exactly. It was a two-day workshop and I found every excuse to not go because I just didn't want to. The practices and exercises that we did were, you know, there are practices to get you out of your comfort zone. And as a 15-year-old, I was really shy. I didn't want to be yelling in a room with a bunch of strangers, you know, like all those little exercises. But anyways, I I remember I tried like baking sick. And my mom was like, you have to keep coming, please, please, please go. And of course, I went and finished completed. I didn't see immediate changes, but she had seen it in me. And slowly, even a week later, a few weeks later, months later went by and my life started changing so much. In high school, I was a really awkward awkward girl, um, very shy. Mm-hmm. I had like black hair, you know, black metal t-shirts and all of this. <laughs> and, but to say the least, I was extremely insecure about who I was, like a lot of teenagers. But I remember soon after that workshop, I, I started cultivating a sense of confidence and I went through a really uh, big weight loss. And that's also where the nutrition aspect came in. As a teenager, you know, I became so obsessed with wellness and that kind of 
took a turn into a different route, which, which we can touch on in a moment. But though I thought I was helping my body because I had seen physical changes, it just went a little extreme. So, so yeah. So that experience with the chakra healing, what was it? A ceremony you would call it? The workshop was called Finding True Self Workshop. So that's um, something near and dear that I actually hold to my heart to this day is that idea of finding your true self, because I think that's where a lot of people, why they experience maybe just like a lower vibrational way of uh, thinking and operating in life is because they're not connected with who they are. Put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I see that a lot. There's a lot of like depression and anxiety. Yes, that that stems from that. And those are definitely those like lower vibes that lack of ability to be your authentic self. Exactly. So that's what really made you start to believe then in the spiritual ideas was not immediately after this workshop, but months later when you started to notice the difference in like your confidence. Yes. And to be honest, even then, I don't even know really that I quite believed and not not to say I didn't believe, I just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I knew there was changes in me and I kept going to more workshops, more classes, because my mom encouraged me, but I just still didn't really know what I was doing. I was just doing what I was told and experiencing vibrations in my body and cultivating energy. I experienced it, but I just didn't know what it was until later in my adult life. I would say even up till two years ago is when, you know, it took almost eight, nine years to really know what it was that I was practicing. To be able to comprehend. Absolutely, yeah. And even like two years ago is when I kind of started to understand what it was that I was doing. Because I did take quite a few years off from practicing at all. From like 17 to about 24, I was on off practicing more off than on. Because I had started working, you know, in high school, I got a retail job. I started becoming busy with that. I started now with my newly gained confidence. I looked different. I felt good about myself. I was hanging out with a different group of friends. So I was out every weekend. I didn't want to go to classes anymore. I got into a relationship, which I just didn't, it's almost like, I felt like I didn't need it anymore because I had gotten what I wanted, you know, I got what I thought at the time was confidence. I had gotten into a relationship, which I thought was a healthy relationship at the time, something we can touch on, but I just didn't feel the need for spiritual practice anymore. It's kind of like when you finally get your abs to show, you're like, okay, cool, I'm done. I don't need to be at the gym anymore. And it's like, no, it's a daily practice. You have to keep going and showing up and putting in the work. And I stopped doing that to find myself in a really depressive state without even realizing it. Yeah, it's that maintenance that we forget about. I, I think another comparison is when you pray to God and you ask for something and God gives it to you and then you completely forget about God. And then yeah, you know, almost immediately you find yourself in, if, if not the same, then an even worse situation and, and you, you start to rely on those external sources of, of validation. You forget to, yeah, stay grounded and you forget about that maintenance. So two years ago, would you say that was your spiritual awakening or did you have a very specific spiritual awakening? Yeah, I would say... In more recent years, I had gone to an internship program actually through Body and Brain, and I recognized how I was feeling. It was a seven-day workshop, and about halfway through, I remember having a moment of regret for being there because 
I was left with the practices that we were doing and the, you know, the guided meditations, I was left to face parts of me that I did not want to. I actually got really angry in the middle of the practice. I remember going into my room or um, even going for a walk and calling my mom and almost like blaming her. Like, why did you make me come here? I want to leave. I don't want to go and finish the rest of the course. I was, again, kind of like when I was a young girl at that weekend practice, looking for every excuse to get out, resenting my mom for being there and for, you know, and it's kind of the same thing. Of course, I finished it. I wasn't going to leave. I'm in the middle of a Sedona desert. I don't even have a car because I took a shuttle bus. So, there, you know, I wasn't going to leave. And I knew that, which is why I was so angry, too, because I knew there was no way out. And of course, a day or two days go by. I remember amidst one of the meditations, I had an aha moment and recognized that the depression that I didn't realize I was experiencing for all these years actually stemmed from loneliness, despite being constantly surrounded by people. And what I'm trying to say, when I say my depression, I refer to my eating disorder that I had for so many years. And I was able to recognize at that moment, my disorder is not me. It is something that I've been carrying with me as as filling a void for loneliness. And, you know, it's interesting because I worked in an industry where I was surrounded by so many people, you know, in the nightlife industry or even in retail. Any job I did, I was always surrounded by people, people who wanted to be around me, hang out with me. But there was still always this sense of loneliness I experienced, almost like I did it to myself. And that's why I used that outlet of food or lack of or an abundance of whatever it is I use that almost as like a a way to stay away from people yeah it's like a way to distract and then you you find all these these band-aids you know these these temporary solutions these distractions that keep you from having to face that loneliness you Mm -hmm. know yeah, filling a void, like any addiction, really. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was able to, I remember walking away from the evening meditation we had and calling my best friend and telling her I just had like an aha moment. And it's exactly what I'm saying right now is that this quote unquote disease is actually just a band-aid that I've been putting over something else. So recognizing that was already the start of a healing process for me. Right. And that was about two years ago. So from then on, I just dive deeper and really take the the measures because for so many years, to backtrack for over 10 years, I had struggled with an eating disorder, but I was in denial for 10 of those years. So I was like, oh no, it's just a thing girls go through. That's what I thought when I was in high school, right? It's yeah. just, it'll, it'll, I'll get over it. Um, and then college comes, still struggling my mid-20s, young adult years, still struggling. And I'm like, oh my God, when is this going to stop? And I don't think it would have stopped if I didn't go to those workshops. And not necessarily the workshops, but had that, that experience of connecting with myself. And these workshops to me are an outlet. They're a guide that help you get there. And that's how I look at um, meditation workshops and retreats is that they're a tool. So. Yeah, it's such a different approach to addiction. I think we mm-hmm. see the way tra- uh, addiction is like traditionally treated and like rehab programs and it's focusing a lot on removing the substance mm-hmm. as opposed to taking a look at what we're trying to use the substance to replace. Mm-hmm. And these retreats, you were forced to 
look at that, to look at what that void was. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the the whole spiritual approach and these workshops, because like you said, they're a tool, they're a guide, and they provide you with the space to make the decision to look at that void and to mm-hmm. face that void and to face that pain. And at the end of the day, it's up to you, but there's such a good way for you to sit. Cause if you're constantly distracted, finding ways to stay busy all the time and not facing that. So yeah, it's not, it's not a pretty thing to face. And that's why so many people avoid it. You know, doing inner work or work on yourself is it's not fun and it's not easy. And you, it's really hard to explain mm-hmm. to people what that is. It's not physical pain. It's something so hard to explain unless you do it yourself. Right. Just something coming up. And I remember having the weirdest dreams too that weekend when I was in Sedona. It, they were just so strange. And I remember reporting them back to my mom and she would just have the most amazing explanations, almost like as if I'm like shedding something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was very, very surreal. And I mean, I don't regret, obviously now at the time I was so upset. I was like, like get me out of here. Actually, I was so upset that in fact, I walked into my room. I had a roommate. Um, in the cabin that I was sharing. And she's so cute. She was probably in her late 70s. She's been practicing yoga since, you know, 70s, literally. And I walk in and her legs are propped up um, against the wall. Like she's laying on her back on the floor with her legs on the wall. (laughs) And she just looks over. She's like, oh, hello. How are you? And I'm like, awful. Like I explained (laughs) to her how how I was feeling. And she's just like, "Mm -hmm. well, congratulations. That's exactly what you're supposed to feel. And I was so confused, I didn't understand, but now I do. Yep. You're like, now Uh-oh. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the feeling. Yeah. It's funny because it isn't physical, but like it can be so physical, you know, like those emotions can be so physical, but it's just such a different physical feeling than what we associate with pain usually. Mm-hmm. So it really is one of those things where you – you can read about it, you can hear stories about it, but until you experience it yourself, totally. you know, it's just like incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't ever really a catalyst then for you. It was just kind of like your mom kind of pushed you and, and encouraged you to go to these retreats. Yeah, only because she knew and recognized the changes that she experienced because she stems from, you know, her own depression and her own battles in life that she had to overcome mental health uh, issues. And she just knew how these practices changed her life. And she wanted that so much for me because she saw in me what she had in her. So it was always out of love. And she was really good about it. She's just a very diligent teacher. I'll put it that way, where she We'll put it in your ear multiple times without really pushing. She would start talking to me about a workshop. And because I was in such a different headspace, I would already start getting so annoyed by the fact that she's bringing up the topic. I'm like, is there anything else we can talk about? Why does it always have to be about yoga or meditation? I was so annoyed um, because I was just so out of touch with that. And so actually I lost contact with her for many years because I was just not into it. And now we're closer than ever because it's, it's a part of my life. So that is the root of our conversations now is how's your energy levels today and what are you experiencing? It's almost like she's my on-call therapist because now I'm experiencing so many changes in my life that I don't really know how to handle it. Yeah, she's really good at like providing you information that you already know, but just in a different perspective. So yeah. you kind of just solve your own problems. Yeah, that's actually so. what I was going to ask you to touch on more is like your relationship with her and 
if there was any resentment, you know, or any pushback. Because I know with my mom, it was like that. And my spirituality, there was a lot of pushback. And for a long time, like I did the same thing. I didn't practice anything. I did yoga for fitness, but you know, right. what, what was that like for you during those years where you guys didn't talk? And then how did you reconnect? I resented her because she was just so involved in the spiritual world. And because I wasn't a part of it, that's kind of the resentment I had, even though I was always invited, but I just wasn't ready. And that's the thing. Yeah. You're, it's kind of like the teacher will come when the student is ready, you know? And mm -hmm. for so many years, I wasn't ready. So that's why uh, we kind of lost touch because when we did speak, she'd mentioned there's this workshop and this, but I was like, no, okay, getting off the phone, bye. Even though she just wanted the best for me. And uh, I think one day she finally just asked me again. She's like, you know, there's this workshop in Sedona, if you're interested. And without hesitation, I just said, okay. Cause I went to multiple, I probably went to like at least five. And so the, f the first one that I agreed to in my mid twenties, I was like, okay. Because something in me knew that if not now, when, you know, I didn't know what it was that I had to heal, but I just knew there was something. So, and a big part of that ended up being the eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's something I was like in such denial about because it had just become a really big part of my life where I just accepted it, that that's who I am. And that's a physical activity that I just partook in. That's how I maintained my look, but I just didn't really look at it like a disorder. I remember there was a time when I really knew I needed to heal. I thought to myself, you know, I want to have kids one day and I want to have a family. What am I going to do when I'm pregnant? And that was like a really big turning point for me because if I'm in my mid twenties and if I'm not healing now, I mean, it's only going to get worse. And I never had a consistent period up until honestly the last year, a half year ago, because I had done so much damage to my body by not nurturing it properly. You know, like food was always the enemy. Even though I still studied nutrition, that's the thing. I still ate a paleo diet, grain free, gluten free. I, you know, I went to all the best organic restaurants in Chicago, but it was still an enemy to me. And I looked at it more like fuel than nurturing my body. So once I had that moment of, you know, in the future, I, I do want to have a family. What am I going to tell my husband when I can't have kids because I damaged my body as a young girl? You know, how is our relationship going to look? And those ideas started to, to kind of get thrown around in my head. And that's when I, I knew I had to face it. Yeah. When did this start? When did you notice that this became a thing? And what were the behaviors? If you want to talk about exactly like what yeah. kind of eating disorder you experienced specifically? Oh gosh. Well, I, I experienced multiples. So it was, you know, anorexia, binge eating, bulimia, all three, constantly in body dysmorphia, never happy with how I looked. Some days I'd be like, okay. But then other days, even though I look the same, I would be like, Oh my gosh, you know, and I recognized it was a problem when it started to affect my social life. When I would rather cancel plans with friends, stay in and just go in on like a pizza or something. And I found more comfort in that than I did 
around people because when I was around people, all I could think about was my body and food. And I didn't even want to be in social situations where there was food because then I'd be so obsessive with like, if we're at a party and there's snacks or something, I'm like, oh my God, I don't even want to go near that. You know, it was just, my mind was occupied with other things. There's got to be like a level of shame there too. So whether it's shame mm-hmm. in being in a social setting and I don't know if you experience this, but I, I experienced this, how much to eat. Are other people looking at me and judging how mm-hmm. much I'm eating or what I'm eating? And then shame around like wanting to eat those foods. So you would rather stay home and do it in private where people can't see you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had completely lost touch with with my relationship with food. I mean, it was so abused that I didn't know what the right portions were for me because they were just so extreme because I would just go and purge. You know, it was just, that was just like a second nature, like a physical thing that just happened so easily. So it's almost like you just forget that it even happened. It was so quick, you know? And these things physically manifested themselves into physical symptoms in my body, which later into my adulthood, they followed. So that was a lack of period that was digestive issues and bloat, hormonal imbalance. Because for over 10 years, I taught myself that I'm not worthy of nourishment. And you know, when I finally did start to digest the foods that I was eating, I was experiencing so much pain. And I feel like that's not a topic that's talked about often, actually, because when you deprive your body of things, and then it finally gets it, it doesn't know what to do with it, whether it's healthy foods or not, right? It just kind of sits there. And that's kind of something that I've been studying a lot lately. And I guess I can segue this into how I started preparing food for myself, which is what I've turned into science and soul. Um, in creating an experience around food instead of viewing it as the enemy or viewing it as just simply fuel. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really believe that when you eat, you're, you're eating more than just the macronutrients. Of course, you're getting the micronutrients as well. But when you appreciate and have gratitude for what you're eating, you're telling yourself you are worthy. You're thinking this food and everyone who is a part of growing the kale that's in the salad to the quinoa, et cetera, you you know, you're thinking of the farmers and so many people play a role into this meal you're going to eat that nourishes your mind and body um, because you're worthy. Yeah. It's such a collective experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's actually kind of where the, the name science and soul comes from. You know, it's more than just the science of nutrition. It's also the mindset you have while you're eating. Because even when I was struggling with my battle, I was eating the best food. I was going to Barry's boot camp multiple times a week. I mean, every possible thing. And I was still so unhappy with how I looked and frustrated. The changes I wanted to see in my body weren't occurring, even though I'm going to these expensive workout classes with the best trainers in the city. But it had nothing to do with that. It had all to do with me. Right. And that's, that's the difference. Yeah. And it's kind of like another way to avoid the problem, really. Like mm-hmm. instead of facing the the nutrition aspect, you know, we find other things to do. And I feel like women do this a lot and we don't talk about it as much as we should, where we have all of these underlying issues that trigger these poor relationships with food and body image. And it's so terrible because we become so susceptible then to like, skinny tea shit, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all of these like 
social media scams that they sell to us thinking it's going to be this quick fix. And it's usually sold to us by like some girl that has the body that we want on Instagram, you know, right. we see that and we're like, Oh, okay, if I just drink this tea, and then the tea doesn't work, and then you feel like an even bigger piece of shit. And you feel even yeah. more worthless, you know, we don't talk about that relationship with food and that relationship with our bodies. And so it becomes this vicious cycle. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not a topic that's talked about often because it's so not sexy. Mm -hmm. We as women want to be sexy and talking about wanting to stay in on a Friday night because we'd rather just, like I said, just order pizza, and ice cream, whatever, all of this. There is a lot of shame around that and you don't want someone to hear that about you. So it's just like a secret. And like anything in life, if you keep a secret for so long, it's going to manifest itself into more serious problems. I feel like why women fall into this is to upkeep with a standard that society has created um, or that we've created for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I don't know which one it is, but it's like the I guess it's the egg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, is it us or is it the media maintenance? That's the only way that we know is to keep up with the standard is with this way. It's almost like a quick fix, but it's just right. so much more detrimental to mind and body. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to maintenance, right? Like, mm -hmm working out or trying to solve the problem with something that we know isn't really going to solve the root of the problem, which is usually like something that's going on emotionally or spiritually. Mm -hmm. That's where the maintenance needs to come in. It's that mm -hmm. spiritual maintenance. It's that mental, emotional well-being maintenance. That is another thing that's like not sexy to talk about. It's not mm -hmm. the norm to talk about. We don't express our our feelings and our emotions and I know you and I had talked about this feeling like you can't be emotional in the workplace and, and that mental health and emotional health are always on the back burner, you mm -hmm. know, and it's like a, a result of living in this fast paced society and it, it's eat or be eaten, you know? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately us women, we just, oh my God, we suffer so much with these societal standards. How are you supposed to maintain this image, right? Work a job, be a mom, do all this shit, make sure you're- And be the best wife too, exactly. you know? Be the best wife, be the best yeah. partner, but there's no dealing with of the emotional part of you. Mm -hmm. Just, we only want to see the best part of you, you know? Right. So let's just not even deal with all the- Right. Other stuff, yeah. And if you express that, then you're crazy or you're unstable. Right. So how did you rebuild a healthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with body image? I would say around this time last year, I was diligently going to exercise, but not exercise like I used to, which was cardio. Like I, I took up weightlifting actually, mm -hmm. because yeah, there's the physical benefit perks from it, but I just loved how I felt. I, I love getting stronger. So every week I would, you know, level up my weights. And that's when I started actually getting really heavily um, involved with like macro tracking, and protein counting and all of this. It was just like something new to me. And it was cool to see, yes, my body changed, but it was cool to see myself get stronger. And though, you know, I put on weight from before because one, I was in a healing process. So I was actually eating food, <laughs> you know, so my body was changing but I was okay with it because I felt stronger and I felt sexier. And that's where the confidence started to come. And I would say, yeah, 
that would be the point. But touching back on cultivating self-love, I was starting to gain weight. And I knew I could not do what I did in the past because I would never heal. Even if I were to relapse or something like that, I have to start the healing process all over again because your body still recognizes this as a fight or flight situation. And I didn't want to continue starting that healing process over. I just wanted it done with. So I started to look at my body out of a place of love and loving it for every change that it goes through, whether I'm exceptionally bloated one day to, you know, this day I'm looking really good and cut. Like my body shouldn't only get love on the days that I physically like how I look. Mm -hmm. It should be all moments because it looks that way for a certain reason. Your body's trying to tell you something. If you're really bloated, for example, it's trying to tell you, hey, hey girl, like <laughs> you either put something in me that I'm not like feeling or maybe you're just under a lot of stress, right. you know, or because that's a, a big correlation between, you know, of course, mind and gut, or maybe you just need to drink more water because kind of constipated, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it just, you have to listen and that's where tapping into your body intelligence is so important. And that part of that is connecting with yourself, whether it be through meditation, mind, body, soul. So all of those practices, that's where you cultivate that body intelligence. So you know what to do. Yeah. So as I was putting on some weight, um, I'm like, well, this is like a test again from the universe. Do I move forward in a more sustainable, healthy way that I could share with others and help change their life? Or do I sneak in my old habits just to have the moment of looking good for a night out or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. You have to ask yourself, like, what is more important? And you mentioned having kids. Is being able to have kids one day more important than looking a certain way because Instagram tells me to or social media tells me to? Right. You know, right. exactly. This, this crazy or this unnecessary comparison. And that's actually a, another thing I wanted to touch on, you know, with like, having these eating disorders, like as long as I've known you, I never knew that you experienced this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as I talk to my friends more and more and we start to open up and we create this space where we can have these conversations, I'm over here looking at my friends thinking, oh my God, they're so thin and, and comparing myself to them and feeling bad about myself. And I find out that almost all of them have some kind of eating disorder or they're really thin because of stress. Mm-hmm. And so it's just such a huge eye opener, you know, like we're sitting here comparing ourselves and thinking that we are supposed to look this certain way. And the person that looks that way is you just have no idea what they're going through. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the grass is not greener on the other side. Absolutely. You, know, you think they, they have this wonderful life because they're skinny or they're thin or you can see their abs and really deep down they are suffering. So it's like, which one do you want? And I, I had the same experience, right? I had to ask myself too. And I, I started to gain weight or, or there were times where I felt like I couldn't lose weight. And I really had to stop and ask like, why do I put so much pressure on myself to lose weight? Like, why mm-hmm. is this so important to me that I'm upset all the time and I'm, I'm criticizing myself all the time or mm-hmm. I feel ashamed of what I'm eating. And like my quality of life was so low. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, whatever. And I haven't lost the weight I wanted to then, but I'm just so much happier. And when you shift that perspective, I think 
then you can look at your body in the mirror from a place of, of love and joy and just mm-hmm. accept yourself and, and accept your body. Absolutely. I mean, it's your vessel that's carrying you through life to, to fulfill your purpose. So if you're not nourishing it and taking care of it, not only are you distracted from fulfilling your purpose because you're so obsessed with how you look, mm-hmm. which at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but it shouldn't be the only thing that delivers you happiness or joy in your life. Right. You know, going to do a job that you love and going to play with your kids or going to hang out with friends, those are the things that you should be focused on. You know, it's kind of like going back to what we were saying before of a love mindset versus scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. When you're always looking at your body from a scarcity mindset, it's just from such a negative perspective. Whereas, you know, you look at yourself in, a, in another light, like even if you aren't feeling your best that day, you know, still having gratitude for being there and for it getting you through the day. Mm-hmm. As simple as that, you know. Oh yeah. There's always there's always something you can be thankful for about your body. Always. Oh yeah. You know, instead of resenting it. And gosh, I get like in these moments where I get really sad thinking about my younger self, and I want to, and I do apologize to her, you know, and like my prayer and stuff, but. I just remember having these flashback moments when I was like 15, maybe I was even 14. It was before my weight loss. And I used to, the power of journaling and writing. I remember I used to write in a journal all the time. Like I want to be thin. I want to be this way this much. And I remember writing really sad notes to myself, like calling myself names and this, like bullying myself in a journal at like 14 years old. And I had this little box and I like wrote my journal in there. I threw it in there. I had pictures of like my inspirations. Actually, oddly enough, I was speaking to a friend because when we were in junior high, her and I actually both had shared these experiences together, you know, of a disorder and because she was battling as well. But because we were both doing it together, we were like, okay, this is whatever. It's fine. You're doing it. I'm doing it. It's almost like we were enabling ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so this is around the time that MySpace came out. And so we're young, we're looking at these like pictures of beautiful girls taking like selfies. But I remember there was these girls that I was so um, inspired by just because of how they looked, their artistry, their hair, but exceptionally on like a, their body looked physically really good. And I wanted that, but they were like also 25 years old. They're women. I was like 13 years old pudgy and like what the hell (laughs) not fit at all I've never lifted a weight in my life I was just so confused and I remember having those pictures in my box because that was like my thinspo it was my thinspo box and it's just so scary how powerful writing is and how you speak to yourself is because I got what I wanted which was a really thin body I had lost like 40 pounds in like I don't know maybe it was like three months it was like a really short period of time and yeah those things I wrote manifested themselves into reality so the power of words and what you say to yourself is so true yeah. And it cultivated, you know, a sense of self-hate. I'll put it that way. It wasn't self-love at all because I would write, I'd call myself names. And that's why I didn't have any confidence even when I did lose the weight, you right. know. It came from a place of 
the scarcity mindset. If you don't yeah. do these things or live up to these standards, then you're not worthy of love. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it continued because I remember even when I was like, okay, I'm like too skinny. Even my like friends were commenting on it. So I'm like, I'll start like eating. Well, eating like normal foods because I was eating, but it was just, I'd be packaging like baby carrots and plain tuna for lunch. You know what I mean? It was like high volume foods, which is extremely low calorie, raw mushrooms as a snack, like, you know, Um, at the time I was like, this is so good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. Poor soul. Um, And then I remember I felt like I could never be involved with my friends on a Friday night. There was like a pizza at a party or something like that. I felt like I could never just partake in those activities. My friends started recognizing how thin I was. Even my dad, but I thought it was fine because I was eating healthy foods. You know, I was eating carrots and this and vegetables and, you know, oil free dressings and stuff like that. Um, so, anyways, I started to partake in food activities with my friends, or I tried to, but again, that obsession was there. Like they would all be eating ice cream or pizza, and I would be so like, I don't know what to do right now because I just want to enjoy this like a kid should. Because I was a kid, even though I was. 16 I'm still a kid you know and I just couldn't find myself to do it and so that's kind of when the other side of the disorder came into role because I started eating these things and I noticed maybe I would feel bloated or like I would gain a little bit of weight and I'm like well I'm the fear of gaining weight then came into my head because I was able to maintain it the, the, the way I was doing it before with like excessive cardio remember going to the gym and being on the elliptical until it showed like a thousand calories on it, you know, like, isn't that insane? I can't even be on the elliptical and have it say like 200. I'd be like, I know, (laughs) you know, like 10 minutes. minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I would be on there for like a good hour or so. Um, just very motivated, you know, by the wrong things, but the disorder took a turn because I, I wanted to maintain the body I had, but eat normally. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. And I wanted to partake in these activities. So that's kind of, well, what do you do? You get rid of it after eating it, you know? And um, that was like a nightmare for many years. That's like really what what damaged my body, Mm -hmm. to put it that way. Yeah. If you want to get into that, like what kind of damage did you notice? Yeah. Well, I mean your esophagus and itself gets so damaged just from acid constantly coming up. Um, I remember experiencing acid reflux. I remember at one point there was blood in the toilet bowl, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, this is like so wrong, but I kept doing it. That's the thing. I like knew and I could see, I'm like, I cannot be doing this anymore. And I would continue. It just became a physical addiction at that point where I didn't know how to stop. I didn't even have to do anything. I could just go you know yeah it's crazy I was actually talking to an old friend of mine um, because she shared the same experiences um, but we never talked about it when we were younger because it was just a shameful thing we didn't really want to talk about it but now as adults I mean we're so open and we're sharing our stories and we're just like oh my god dude me too me too I did the same thing like it's just it's uh, refreshing to know I'm not alone and as I speak about it more the women come into my life who, for some reason, I feel comfortable sharing this information with them. And then they open up to me or they'll open up to me first before that's been happening, actually, is they, for some reason, feel comfortable telling me this. 
And then like just a little detail. And then I say, well, full disclosure, this is my experience. And they're like, it's like a relief because they could talk about their story with me. And I encourage that because the more you talk about it, the more you're, you're watering down the shame. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of you. Like, it's like a demon in you, like facing it. Like you don't control me anymore. And the more I talk about you, the less scary you are. Mm -hmm. The more you face it, the, the less scary it becomes. You realize it's not as scary as it, as you thought it was. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, by speaking about it, that's, that's how you heal. Mm-hmm. It was my biggest secret for years. I mean, even my sister or some of my family members, I opened up to them about it recently and they knew I, you know, there's something going on. They just didn't realize the extent of it and that it was going on in the same household for all these years, you know, or like my old, my old friend who I used to live with, like she, they just had no idea. I was just so good at hiding it. And when you're suppressing this so much, I mean, it does a lot of internal damage to you too, like beyond a physical, I mean, mental health manifests itself into a physical form. And that's what was happening to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, not only do you have that physical damage, but that emotional damage that you're, you're suppressing gets trapped in the body. Mm-hmm. It, it's tra- as trauma, yeah, which you know appears as inflammation, mm-hmm. as stress, chronic fatigue, you know, acidic blood, like everything, which makes you sick. Yeah, the acidic blood. Yeah, I'm reading mm-hmm. the emotion code right now, and it, and in that book, the author talks about emotion that becomes trapped in the body, and it, it gets trapped in locations depending on if there's already something pre-existing in that Mm -hmm. organ or that area of the body, for example, like the esophagus or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then that emotion becomes trapped there. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) I can totally resonate with that because a lot of my inflammation occurs in my gut, you know, hence why I eat the way I eat because that is um, what I always thought the issue was, was food. But now I'm, you know, as I'm learning how to manage stress and, you know, even though I know that's the thing with wellness, there's never an end goal. So because I suffered with so much bloating, literally there was a time where this is when I was bartending. And I remember a gentleman at the bar asked me, oh, how many weeks are you or months are you? I was so mortified. And so was he when I told him I was are you oh kidding me? <laughs> I was, you know, and, and I was still like suffering at the time. I was still partaking of those habits. So it was even, even though I was still purging, I was still bloated. You know what I mean? It was just so crazy. So then what I did to get rid of the bloat or what I thought would help is by either a starving myself again or purging. And it would just be a cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's actually um, interesting because I, picked up a book called Disordered and the last two letters are in bold. So like Edie and the author talks about that a lot is how you get into the cycle when you want to start your healing process, but you start noticing your body change because of course it's going to, you were never sustaining it in a healthy way before. So now that you are, it's going to change. And because we get so scared about that change, we relapse into old habits. And then 
the healing never starts. It just, you're back into the cycle. So when I was uh, telling you how I started lifting weights and I, I liked the changes that I was experiencing mentally and physically, I started to fall back on my nutritional philosophies of, you know, low inflammation because I just knew, well, my gut is constantly experiencing inflammation. What's a diet or what can I do? Not even a diet. I hate using that word, but what is an approach to nutrition I can follow to help me heal? And we all know gluten-free and dairy-free is, they're they're inflammatory triggers. So let's remove those. Let's start eating more plant-rich foods because for a while I was still eating a lot. I was eating a really heavy animal protein diet. And actually I had stopped doing that when the gyms closed, right? When lockdown happened because I stopped lifting weights. I stopped exercising very strenuously. So I just didn't feel the need to eat that anymore. Yeah. So that's kind of when I started adopting more of a plant-rich diet. And I was just so determined to like put on muscle mass and I didn't know any other way, really. I didn't really understand. I mean, I've dabbled. I actually was plant hundred percent plant-based for well over a year at one point in my life, but I didn't really, I think I did it more as a diet, you know, like I wanted to be vegan so I could lose weight, even though all I was eating were carbs and not even like greens. It was not even like that many vegetables. It was just carbs, um, like starchy carbs. And, um, yeah, it it was again, like a diet. And, um, whereas now I really look at the nutritional background and benefit of you know, the power in plants. So that's really something that I integrate into my life too. Like greens, for example, they're so nourishing and detoxifying for your body, oxygenating your blood. You know, I look at food in that sense now. Right. Like it's not even about hitting my protein goal for the day. It's about hitting how many greens have I had? Yeah. I love that you changed that verbiage too. Instead of calling it a diet, you know, it helps to kind of shift the mindset around the relationship with food as opposed mm-hmm. to calling it a diet where a diet using that word can feel so restrictive. And mm-hmm. when you use the term nutritional approach, it comes with this notion of what's the goal? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do I want to feel like for you? It was exactly. Bloating. So we're going to uh, use this approach to, to help ease the bloating or, and mm-hmm. I'm working with a healer um Nicole London I love her I'll shout her out Aww. every time <laughs> and and that's what she she asked me you know it, with my dieting like how do you want to feel you know as, mm-hmm. as opposed to you again that it, that ties back to the whole image and cultural standards right like oh I want to be a vegan because whatever so I can say I'm because they're skinny yeah exactly. <laughs> or because they're skinny. they're skinny like yoga bodies and yeah right a, a stigma Exactly. Yeah. It's this, it's the stigma. So going back to that maintenance, right? That is why it's so important to maintain the right things being, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do I want to feel mentally, physically, emotionally, and then those mm-hmm. benefits going back to what you were saying with, you know, looking fit, looking a certain way. And even though that's important, it shouldn't be the main goal. If you Mm -hmm. shift the main goal to wanting to feel good physically, emotionally, mentally, those things will all come as like side effects. You know, if you shift Mm -hmm. your mindset into wanting to eat healthy and nourish the body, then you're automatically going to start to cut out bad foods. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to start to want to move more, whether that be 
weights or whatever feels good to your body. But at the end of the day, again, it's about how, how you're making yourself feel. And all of those other benefits come with implementing these baseline uh, mental, spiritual health, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's beyond feeling good. It's about feeling like your best self so you can fulfill your purpose, you know? Yes. Once you start to implement all of these healthier habits, I, I personally noticed that they kind of carried over into all areas of my life. So even mm-hmm. work, you know, I was making more money. I had more clients and, and things like that. You don't realize kind of similar to what you were saying about that chakra workshop that you took, you know, where mm-hmm. you don't notice the results immediately because you're not going in and doing these workshops or doing this work because the goal is to make more money or the goal is to be skinny, but they're all like a byproduct. Mm-hmm. You know? Of just wanting to feel like your best and most authentic self. Mm-hmm. And when you tap into that source energy inside of you, the universe recognizes and you start to attract yes. whether it's people in your life, like, you know, the somehow the right people come into your life at the right time. It's not by sheer coincidence. I, you know, I mean, there are such a, there is such a thing as, you know, oh, coincidence, you know, we were there at the same time, but I truly believe that things and people come into your life opportunities because it's the next step or that is what you attracted because that's what you need. You attracted, you know? that's what you need. Absolutely. Exactly. Like even with business, I mean, I will have my moments of, um, you know, I, I experience a little bit of anxiety at times because, okay, well, how, what's the next step with business? How do I grow it? Kind of start stressing, but then I always have to kind of bring myself back and just know you are doing everything that is in your power right now. Just trust and be patient. And that's something I always teach myself. Like, don't jump the gun too quickly. Just be patient, baby steps. And before I know it, I'll get like a DM from someone who wants to promote my product because she loves my brand message. And, you know, only to find that this person is extremely influential and is really helping get my the, the message of science and soul across to people, you know, it's not a coincidence. It's just what was attracted. Someone comes in at the right time when you yeah. need it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's those baby steps, you know, focusing on yes. what you're doing in the moment and that they always accumulate to something greater. And I think when you're not focused on the moment, the now, you're, you know, they say you're either anxious, which is worried about the future or depression is being stuck in the past. And if you're not in that present moment, I think there's so many things that we miss. Yeah. Yeah. I actually was reading something today where it was, it said, um, don't focus about the big picture. Just focus on your next step Mm -hmm. because you will get overwhelmed. And I mean, it happens to me all the time. I have so many ideas, you know, business related that comes into my mind where I start to get overwhelmed and I'm like, this is a five-year vision. Let's not worry about it right now. You know what I mean? Like just what do I need to accomplish right now to make my week more seamless and graceful? Oh yeah. So with science and soul now, how Mm -hmm. did you get started I know you had mentioned portion control and it goes hand in hand with meal prepping and that kind of helped you rebuild of course. your relationship with food. So when I was tracking macros and such, 
I had like a little app that showed me, you know, how much and what is right for my body. And I post about it on social media all the time. Just like my fun little, I would make muffins, for example, but they'd be like protein muffins or they'd be just, you know, healthified versions of food that people like. And I would share it all the time. And a friend of mine, he was like a bodybuilding kind of guy. He was like, hey, my meal prep girl moved. Is that something you'd be interested in? I always see all the good food you're posting. And I'm like, oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I was I didn't have too much going on at the time either. Like I was bartending maybe three, four nights a week. So that's why I had so much time to spend hours at the gym and, uh, you know, prepare these meals for myself. So I took on my friend to prep for him. And from the start, I already approached it in a really professional way. I sat down with him, asked him what kinds of foods he likes. I already had a menu sample prepared for him. And I had gotten some inspiration from a friend of mine in Chicago. She has a really successful meal prep business, Prepped Inflated, actually. My friend Angela owns it. I used to work with her back in the nightlife days. But she's extremely successful. And I loved her model of uh, a weekly menu. And she's just a big inspiration. And so I began doing that with him. And then I would speak about it to other people, you know, at the bar or restaurant I was working at. I had someone else inquire, oh, can you do that for me? So I had about three clients. And then a lockdown happened. So this is, we're approaching almost a year ago when the business kind of started in a sense. So I continued to prep and I don't know if you remember, but grocery stores were like wiped out because people had no idea what was going on. Like all the produce, especially the meat was all gone. And at the time when I was meal prepping for my friend, I was cooking chicken, steak, etc. It wasn't what science and soul is right now. It was kind of catering more to the clientele that I was developing then. But I continued. I had like my client ask me, hey, are we still on for this week? Because I know stores are pretty empty. But no, I just figured it out. I'd go to maybe like six grocery stores, but I made it work. And I was doing a lot of driving at the time too. A lot of driving and walking. I was out of work. I was just driving to drive. And uh, that's where the idea of Science and Soul came. I was listening to some podcasts. And I think I had heard a few words that I really liked that worked together in unison. So I thought, okay. It, it was talking about my body and soul, essentially. So I just thought science and sounds just like the way it sounded. So I wrote it down immediately and I had this app where I was starting to make like marketing collateral on and I played around with it, made my logo, made my logo from like a little design app, (laughs) nothing fancy, but it's stuck with me to this day and I love it. It's so simple and just to the point. So yeah, I started branding myself really early on. That's something I'm super passionate about is branding and storytelling. That's what I studied in school. I actually went to school for fashion marketing and management um, at an art school, but branding and portfolio development was just my favorite thing to do. I mean, even to this day when I shop, I'm very brand loyal and it's not about like high-end brands. I just really love companies that do a great job at presenting their vision or story or a color palette or just something that resonates with you. And I understand the importance of branding. So I wanted to start that from the very beginning. So I remember when I started getting a few more clients, I invested in like a little printer. I did some research. How can I print labels for my home? Because I don't want to just give plastic black meal prep containers out and write on them. I want it to look really nice. So I started doing research and then I would just play around. I didn't have my brand really until honestly it's still in development but now it's definitely at a place that is me that like I'm starting to get it but I remember I started to steer away from animal proteins 
when I just started to fall back on my own nutritional philosophies. You know, I don't think it's something that we're so obsessed with protein, protein, protein. Like, gosh, even in the restaurant I work at, there's this woman <laughs> and she was ordering some appetizers for her and her friend. And she was like, what's something with like a lot of protein? And she just kept saying the word protein, protein, protein. I was like, oh my God, lady. So I go back to my friend. I'm like, protein lady over there is just like <laughs> at the wrong place. <laughs> but like, we're just so obsessed with it. And I'm just, I don't think people really understand how much protein plants really provide. Just a fun fact, but four cups of kale pack in 12 grams of protein. You know, you have a big kale salad with chickpeas and some hummus on it. You're already looking at about, I don't know, 20 something grams of protein. Right. And for some reason, there's this belief that you need one gram per protein per body weight a day, right? Like if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be eating like 100 grams of protein, which is absolutely absurd because you only need like, it's like 0.36 grams of protein, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I don't know where this misconstrued information came from, maybe from like bodybuilding. Like I understand that there is a science behind that, I, I get, but for optimal healthy functioning, you don't need to be eating that much. It's going to mess with your digestion so much, especially if it's like heavy ant proteins. I read in a book somewhere that said the reason for these high protein diets, your body burns more calories metabolizing protein than it does anything else. Yes. uh, Thermogenic food. Yes, exactly. I had no idea. So I'm, cause I thought the same thing. I'm like, this is an insane amount of protein to me. Yeah, something like 0.65 to one gram of protein. And I was doing that for a while, actually. And I will say I did see physical results. But this is going back to, you know, my behavior and my background, I was relying again on food for an aesthetic approach. So I was still obsessing, even though it was macros and I'm bodybuilding and eating more food, it was still an obsession. And I so badly wanted to stop because I was so full. I remember looking at my tracker and I'm like, oh my God, I still need like 20 grams of protein. Like, you know, I was stronger, but I just remember being so full all day long. I'm like, I don't want to look at another protein shake ever again. Like I was just so full and you don't feel your best, especially when you're eating like so much animal protein, you're just like constipated because it's just hard to digest. So you know, to break away and really break free is why I do what I do now. In fact, I did used to have macros and all the fats, proteins, carbs on my packaging when I started Science and Soul. But I stopped. I just decided no, because as I was approaching more of a plant-based, organic, low, low inflammatory meal prep program, like you shouldn't be worried about the food that's in this container. You know, I understand maybe for tracking purposes, but you shouldn't fear quinoa and kale and some chickpeas. Like that's, that's a big part of my, my basis. And it's nothing you should fear. There shouldn't yeah. be, you know, like these plants aren't going to harm you, you know, right. processed food, even that processed protein bar, like that's something you should be a little more concerned about tracking and looking at the ingredient list. But my ingredient list is pretty much what it is. So with that being said, what is your mission with science and soul? So like a meal prep program, you know, it's designed to create balance in other people's lives. It's a convenience service, but taking it further, I want people to really feel their best so that they can fulfill their purpose in life. 
without feeling restricted. That is one big core of it. But another, if you've taken a look at my food, you'll notice I pay extra attention to detail Mm -hmm. and plating and color. I I incorporate a lot of um, thoughtfulness and artwork inspiration into my meals. I'm big on color. And when you open a package and it's just so beautifully plated, there is an experience around that. When you're just eating chicken, rice, and broccoli from like your meal prep, I mean, think about how many times we're on our phone while we eat because it's just mindless. It's just fueling ourselves. Yes. With my meals, this is why I use such unique ingredients. I really want people to stop what they're doing for the day and really enjoy this experience and taste the ingredients I'm using, pay attention to the texture and color, and just create a moment of presence. Because I'll be honest, I you know, being so busy, I'm sure you do this too. We'll be checking emails while we eat lunch. Mm -hmm. You know, it just happens because it's like, oh, okay, I finally have a moment where I can catch up. I mean, so many people do this and that really needs to stop because when you're not in the moment, especially when you're eating, you're not chewing as much as you should, Mm -hmm. you know? So your body's working so much harder to break down foods, especially if you're eating like meat and such, like you're taking a couple of bites and you're swallowing it and then you're wondering why you're so tired after lunch. It's because your body's working so hard to break down the food you just ate. Whereas, you know, if you're in the moment, you really chew, you eat slow, you're being more mindful about nourishing your body. Um, And then you're just taking that moment of the day for yourself. Yeah. It sounds like you really are recreating that relationship that people have with food by Mm -hmm. creating such a positive experience, especially for people that might have an eating disorder. And instead of looking at food as such a negative, you open up one of your meal preps and yours specifically, and you see this beautifully plated, healthy, nutritional meal. And you really Mm -hmm. are recreating that experience. Mm -hmm. I wish I was over there so I could. (laughs) Oh my God. It's beautiful. I love it so much. I love the idea. The branding is amazing. It looks totally cohesive and and complete to me. You know, I think. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's my favorite part. (laughs) It's like thinking, I'm like, what's the next post? What's the next, you know? Yeah. I love all the the bars. Like everything looks so beautiful. So any advice, any advice that you want to give? the listeners. Really practice loving yourself through every stage of your life. And it's a daily practice. There's moments where I will be like, okay, Pilates is working on for whatever, you know, the case is like, I'll just be body confident. And then other days where maybe I'm not feeling so hot, but I look at myself in the mirror and I try and wipe that, that thought. And I literally say, I love you. You look amazing today. You know, it's like such a silly thing, but really the way, like, look at yourself when you speak, don't just think these things, like look at yourself and talk to yourself in the mirror and look in your eyes. That's another big thing is it's a really interesting experience when you talk to yourself and look into your eyes. Cause I feel like you are literally talking into your soul. You could see your emotion. You could see everything. It's like your portal, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, a. uh, a little trippy to do, but it's, it's it cool. is. It's an interesting experience when you do it for the first time. Yeah. But it is such a beautiful thing to do. 
And I think so often we rely on so much external validation. It's such a great practice to give those Mm -hmm. things to ourselves. Like that is the most constant is yourself, you know, no matter like friends, boyfriends, significant other, whatever, uh, family, they're not going to be there all the time. Like, I don't know. I think the the universe is funny, right? (laughs) There are so many times where I'm going through a difficult moment and I'm like, oh no, I need to call someone. I need to talk to someone. I need someone on the outside to help me, to validate me, to listen to me. And no one's there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just there to sit with myself and to sit with my own thoughts. And that is the most powerful thing you can do to build that relationship with yourself because you are always going to be there. Yes, absolutely. Um, And touching back on um, loving yourself through every moment. um, I also mean that by expressing gratitude, you know, kind of like what we talked about before, you know, when you, after like such a long day at work, you finally get into your bed and you just lay there and you're just like so grateful for the moment, first of all, of laying there. I don't know. I express gratitude when I go to sleep and upon waking. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, I'm I, my first thing I'm grateful for is this cozy bed. <laughs> but it's yeah. so true. I'm like, thank you so much for getting this cozy bed to sleep in. But it's so true. We spend most of our life in it, you know? Yeah. Have gratitude for your sheets. <laughs> they do yeah. you a lot. <laughs> Blankets. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, and for your body and for, um, you know, whether you have found your mission or not, um, time, it's, it's important to remember that time just moves slow and you will find it, you know, Mm -hmm. for those who may feel like they haven't found like their purpose yet. I actually have a lot of friends who kind of reach out to me and they're like, how did you do this? How, you know, help me find my purpose or whatever. And uh, it's just them from my struggles mm-hmm. and um, from my struggles, but then rediscovering myself. Yes, the rock bottom moment, exactly. And bouncing back up from it because there's people who hit rock bottom and they stay there. Yeah. But it's up to you to ascend. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And just know you're worthy of it. Yes. So last, last question. Mm-hmm. So, so with your experience and hitting rock bottom and then ascending, um, would you say that has allowed you to practice more compassion and understanding for others? And yeah. how do you do that? Absolutely. Um, how I approach people now, I mean, even someone who is just so rude to me, like at the store or just anywhere, whatever the case is. Um, I look at that person from a really compassionate perspective, like you're, you're hurting. And I, you know, I hope you find a light because, you know, when you're happy and living in an abundance mindset, you're not rude to people. You're so giving and so nice. That's what I love about California. I feel like so many people are like that. But you know, everyone here is just so grateful to be where they are. Everyone here also meditates. But uh, I I would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could just almost like see the pain in people's eyes sometimes. And 
the thing is is that not every like some people just don't know any better because they haven't been provided the tools to um to heal at least not yet they have you know yeah i love that yay all right so we will (laughs) wrap it up that was amazing thank you so much for being on the podcast that was amazing (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and share your website with everyone you guys can check out paulina's website and take a look at some of her meals because they are amazing and then i'm gonna go ahead and share (laughs) her instagram page and then if you guys are in the what area? um so i deliver in san diego county coastal up until orange county like dana point area so yeah if you live in the area and you're interested in ordering just use the code collective and you'll receive 15 percent off your first order at sciencefullnutrition.com awesome so, all right yeah. thanks girl thank we'll you so much for having me okay. yeah it was a okay. pleasure okay oh, good night bye Thank you so much for tuning in to Heal the Collective. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can help me out by grabbing your nearest device and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show grow. If you take a screenshot of your review and email it to me at tohealthecollective at gmail.com, I'll send you two of my favorite journal prompts. Feel free to also share this podcast with a friend that you think may find this useful. I will be launching episodes once a week, so make sure you follow me on Instagram at To Heal the Collective so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and check out some of our other content. I would love to hear your feedback and thoughts on the show as well as any topics you would like for me to cover on solo episodes. If you go to calendly.com slash To Heal the Collective, you can book a time with me and we can hop on a call. I would love to connect and get to know you directly and I look forward to hearing from you. Sending lots of love and until next time.